Oh, what a weekend that was. Welcome to the Monday edition of Couch Potato Diary. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. I'm just stoked to be talking football with y'all today. Um, This is going to be a fun show. It's not just going to be football. Uh, We're going to be covering a lot of stuff throughout the day. We got, obviously, the NFL and the Canadian Football League. We got Major League Baseball. Uh, We got some NHL stuff going on, and we'll finish with some footy. If you want to get in touch with the show, it is pretty easy to do. I am at PrimetimeKlein on Twitter and Instagram, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. You can email the show, CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo.com. The music that you were hearing is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram, at Wasted Talent, with X's where the A's would be. And check out their producer on Instagram, at Tommy Fresh Music. I said it's not going to be all football. But football will come first. Let's just run through things. So how I think I'm going to do it throughout this season, and if you've been following the show the whole time, A, thank you. Uh, B, you know, there isn't necessarily a map that I stick with week to week. I like to think that I will, and then I just don't. So psychoanalyze that however you want. But just going to run through, I watched, I, I consumed my NFL with my favorite team playing tonight, Monday Night Football. I consumed my NFL specifically through the eyes of NFL Red Zone yesterday. So this isn't going to be like deep snap by snap breakdown on every one of these games. Just kind of what you see as the, the folks from Red Zone kind of pop in and out on these games. Uh, hoping to go through some of these a little bit more in depth as the week goes on. And then Friday is going to be a big NFL day for me. So. We will start with the Kansas City Chiefs and their win over the Cleveland Browns. And this was one of the things that we talk about with this Kansas City Chiefs team. And now one of the things that we see as I I did a quick look ahead at the Lions for week two coming up. Kansas City does come away with the win in this game. Uh, They do not cover, though. 33-29 ends up being the final. I think the line got to around seven. When you look at the line for Kansas City next week, they are taking on the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, things could change depending on how Baltimore looks this evening, but Kansas City currently favored by three points. I think odds makers are now going to adjust and see that Kansas City just isn't going to shit kick everyone every single week. I think they're going to take their opportunities to put elevated lines out there when Kansas City are playing some of the also-rans of the National Football League, but... My, my first takeaway from this is Kansas City is still the best team in the AFC. The Cleveland Browns played a very good football game. The problem is, for 99% of the teams in the league, very good isn't good enough against the Kansas City Chiefs. You have to play perfectly. And Cleveland almost did. And then you get a mistake from a punter, and you get a Baker Mayfield interception, and bing, bang, boom. Or, as they said on RuPaul's Drag Race UK, bing, bang, bong. Um... All of a sudden, the Kansas City Chiefs are winning a football game. Like, they are just, you you cannot make mistakes. You cannot give Patrick Mahomes extra opportunities to work with that football. He is still a master of the, the football field. And it, it, anytime something goes wrong, it's, oh, well, that's weird. Like, it, you just expect them to come up with a big play. You almost have to expect them to score on every drive, and that's how you have to play. And credit Cleveland, because they did. But this is, again, the difference between the elite teams and the very good teams. I think Kansas City is an elite team. I think Cleveland's getting there. I do wonder, does this team hit a ceiling with Baker Mayfield? And this is this is overreaction 1,000%, because I, 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 I thought he was really good. I don't know if he is elite though 
And that's that's one of the things I want to like really sit down and watch this game on and watch this season on is the development of Baker Mayfield and, and just see how the the can or how the Cleveland Browns are they elevated by their quarterback this year? I, I think they are to a certain extent. I, I this is definitely overreacting, but this is kind of the level that they want to be getting to, right? Like they they want to be the Kansas City Chiefs. They want to be hanging around with those teams. So I don't think it's unfair to be judging this team based off of this. And now as we look at things for Baker Mayfield going forward, this is a player who is going to be much more expensive down the line than he currently is. Uh, right now his cap hit, I believe, is around $10 million that's going to go up substantially in the next couple of years. Is he that quarterback that, okay, now we have to take some of the weapons away from him and make the team a little bit worse around him to fit his contract in? Is he the guy who keeps you at that sustained level, a la Patrick Mahomes? So we will see. From a fantasy perspective in this game, I don't think Clyde Edwards-Alaire is good. And that's a problem because people were drafting him in fantasy like he was good. And I, I don't I don't think he's... I mean, look, look he's better than I am. But again, this we're, we're grading everything on the NFL curve, not the guy sitting in his spare bedroom talking on a podcast curve. I think with Kansas City, like, we, we just want, oh, well, McCole Harmon, you got to get him. You just got to get every piece of this Kansas City offense. And say, like, ah, I don't know if you do. It's a lot of Kelsey. It's a lot of Hill. And it's not a lot of anyone else. Uh, Hardman, like, th this was... a. a game plan and a game script, that's the actual word for it, that Kansas City had to pass the whole fucking game and Hardman barely saw anything in this game. So he's out. I think for Kansas City, we are at a point where it is Mahomes, it is Kelsey, it is Hill. And then after that, like Clyde Edwards, excuse me, Clyde Edwards Alaire is still a startable fantasy running back, but that I think is more common on the state of running back in fantasy football than it is on the skill level of Clyde Edwards Alaire. Miami Dolphins with a win over the New England Patriots. This was the game that I was sweating out the most because it was the one I was kind of the the, the firmest on uh, aside in this game. I think that, I mean, A, I was happy to be right. A couple of things. One, New England's defense is a lot better than I was going to give them credit for, and I was probably just being blind to it. Also, I think that Mac Jones is a limited quarterback at this stage in his development. I underestimated New England's ability to still try to maximize that. This is never going to be a team, I think, that wants to win 35-30. to 30. This is probably going to be a team that we're going to be on the under on a lot this season because this was the style of game that they wanted to play. And, like, they, they want it to be a low-scoring game, they want to run the ball a ton, and they want to limit the mistakes from Mac Jones. And they did that, but then you get a couple of mistakes, and they're just, again, they are a team that I think has to play perfectly on offense to win games, and I, I just don't know if they have the team to do that. But, I will say now, going forward, this is a defense that I get concerned about facing from a gambling standpoint and from a fantasy football standpoint. And that's why I'm not entirely terrified of of Tua, and I think you actually look at this as a positive, as he comes away from a tough matchup in a tough place to play with a victory and 20-some-odd fantasy points this week. So I I come away from this one feeling good about my Miami call this season, and when you look at the next game we're going to get into with the Buffalo-Pittsburgh game, 
I'm not going to say, oh, well, Miami can win the division now, but it feels a lot closer than it did before, and I'm almost wishing I would have been that bold on it, but I'm, I'm not, and I'm still not panicking on Buffalo either. But uh, from a fantasy perspective, again, Tua is probably a wait and see. You, you want to, uh, going up against Buffalo this week, eh, but he, he is someone who, if you wanted to stash on your bench, I'm not hating that move. For New England, God, that was a lot of Harris. That was just, that That was, it was probably too much, as I think he wears down as this game goes along, and then he makes the, the fumble late. But I, I think we will see more running backs in there. That was a very un-New England-esque performance, um, or, or I guess utilization from the running back position. But again, I don't, I, I started Aguilar. I'm not trusting him a ton. I'm not trusting Jacoby Myers or any of the other weapons right now with New England and for Miami Jalen Waddle looked good that was one of my takeaways Devontae Parker there might be something there but I think the biggest one is Mike Gesicki where the hell man I lost a fantasy matchup this week he only gets two targets zero points I I see no reason why you need to hold on to Mike Gesicki if you need to drop him and I'm in that spot in a couple of fantasy leagues then I think you just drop him and that's just how things are Pittsburgh against Buffalo um this is a big win for the Pittsburgh Steelers and a tough win for us who took the under on the the Pittsburgh Steelers win total this was one that we kind of wanted and now gonna need a, a lesser team to sneak up and bite Pittsburgh this year the good thing is I don't know how much of a problem that is this this is Sorry, just banging the table. This is the frustrating thing about this game and about analysis in general. I think I was right. I didn't think Pittsburgh's offense looked very good at all. I didn't like a whole... First of all, let's not have the starting running back play every snap because that seemed like far too much for Najee Harris in that game. Um, But I I thought... Like, I just... I, I can't think of one throw I loved from Ben Roethlisberger. The weapons around him are very good. But, like, offensively... I don't think this team was very good. I don't think they will be very good. And I feel kind of justified in that. The problem was their defense is exceptional. They got a pass rush that causes all different kinds of problems. And they are a defense that you are going to have to, again, account for when it comes to gambling. They, they take on the Raiders next week. Oof. Um, and from a fantasy perspective, they are going to be a defense that is going to be a problem to play against. For Buffalo, I don't think it's time to panic yet, but that was, like, when you look at performances of different teams this week, um, that one is one of the more concerning ones, but again, I think you chalk more of that up to playing a good defense than you do, well, Buffalo's screwed now. One of the main issues, and one of the things that we're going to want to see corrected in the next couple of weeks, is Josh Allen looked like 2019 Josh Allen and not 2020 Josh Allen. And you just, you worry, did some of the hype get to him? And then he thought that he could take some time off um, because that's that's a problem. And if, if the old, old Josh Allen pops up, then this is going to be a problem for the Buffalo Bills this upcoming season. Arizona taking on the Tennessee Titans. This is the one where I don't know how much of this to buy, but there's a bit of, um, I guess, confirmation bias involved in this one. We assumed coming into this one, the Tennessee Titans defense was going to be bad. They faced an offense that we assumed was going to be very good. And hey, look at that. Both of those things became true. The thing that was the standout to me, I thought the offseason acquisitions that the Arizona Cardinals made on the defensive side of the ball were wildly overrated, but that defense was scary good, specifically Chandler Jones with five sacks. Like that, that is nothing new. And that is the gravest concern on the Tennessee side is that offensive line 
just got their heads caved in by Arizona. And that's kind of supposed to be the strength of this team. Like the, you have a run-based offense and the only time you get anything going in the passing game is when you work off of play action, which you need the run game for, which you need the offensive line for. If that offensive line isn't going, then this Tennessee team is as good as done. And so they are they are the one who I, I think had the most precarious hold on a playoff spot anyway. Like when everything is going well for this Titans team, they are very difficult to beat. But they are the ones who the, the the ledge between greatness and missing the playoffs, it's a very thin line because everything has to go perfectly. When it does, it's excellent. When it's off just a touch, it's terrible. There is very little margin for error with Tennessee. We will see how they are able to bounce back next week. The LA Chargers with a win over the Washington football team. This one gets a little bit close late. Justin Herbert with a not great throw um, causing an interception, but they get bailed out because of a play on the defensive side of things. The thing that you like from a Chargers perspective is that's the type of game that they lost basically a thousand times since Drew Brees made his way to New Orleans. Like that's, that's essentially every Chargers loss ever, and they come out with a, a win in that one. So you feel good about that from the Washington side. Antonio Gibson fumbling it is not great, but for fantasy, boy, he's going to be good this year. And now with Heineke in at quarterback, mobile quarterbacks help out the run game. So I, I think Antonio Gibson is going to be someone who you really want to look at from a, a fantasy football perspective. For the Chargers, I wouldn't panic too, too much about the offense only putting up 20 points. This is a very, very, very good Washington defense. The major surprise of the day, the Green Bay Packers get shit kicked by New Orleans a lot to three. And here is the thing. This is, if I'm a Packers fan today, I am fuming. And Aaron Rodgers has provided several great moments throughout his career. And we have seen slow starts from Aaron Rodgers before. Remember, relax. Remember all that? It ended up being pretty true. However, this is very much a win for coaches who want to get their players in to training camp because holy shit did Rodgers look bad. You cannot have the offseason Rodgers had where you clearly leak moments before the draft starts that you want to be traded and then you don't show up to OTAs and then you're kind of in practice and you rain absolute hellfire at your preseason press conference. You can't do all that shit and then stink up the joint. In week one. And that's exactly what he did. They didn't have a hope in hell at any point in this game. And the, the frustrating thing from an um, evaluation standpoint is, I don't know if we can believe anything in this game. I, like, I'm not going to pencil Jameis Winston in for five touchdowns every week. The only thing that I know that I can take away from this game is that Alvin Kamara is really fucking good at the sport of football and it doesn't matter who his quarterback is. That's it. That's all we can take away from this game. I don't think Green Bay is going to be this shitty the rest of the way. And the thing is, we don't know how good they're going to be because next week they play Detroit and they're going to kick the absolute tar out of Detroit. And that's, uh, okay, cool, great. If they don't, that's where you get really, really concerned. I, I chalk this one up to being early. I chalk this up to these are Aaron Rodgers' preseason games. You look at the rest of this division, I don't think they're too worried about it. So I, I think Green Bay is going to be fine. For New Orleans, you have to feel very good about that performance. Even against the Green Bay team that wanted to be anywhere else, 
to go through what New Orleans has gone through, and this was something I underplayed quite a bit on the show, and I should have brought it up more on Friday, is what is going on with New Orleans right now. Obviously, there's a lot of real-life factors when you're dealing with this hurricane situation in New Orleans again, and you just hope that everyone from a a real-life standpoint, is okay. From a football standpoint, they're all over the damn place. And to come out and look that good, that this was a game where I was looking around for Coach of the Year odds. Couldn't find any. But uh, Sean Payton as Coach of the Year. If this team does anything, Sean Payton is a lock for the Coach of the Year. You're going to get bad Jameis games, but I, I do think that we need to think about New Orleans now a little bit more in the playoff picture. From a fantasy perspective, uh, I, I thought there was a dude on New Orleans who was supposed to be a dude who ended up not being a dude. Uh, there, Alvin Kamara, until further notice, the only guy who I'm trusting uh, to start on New Orleans. And for, for Green Bay, like you're not sitting Rodgers, Adams, or Aaron Jones, but I, I thought Randall Cobb might have a little bit more in this offense. Nope. Uh, I think it's very clear that Valdez Scantling just ain't the guy that they want him to be. And so we are now getting back to a point where Aaron Rodgers probably needs at least one more weapon there in Green Bay to to get this team over the hump. Chicago against the Rams, there isn't a whole lot to talk about. Um, Andy Dalton should not take any more snaps as a starting quarterback in the National Football League at all. And the LA Rams lit it up with their new toy. I, I There were some people I, I saw concerned about how different LA's running game looked from a, a Daryl Henderson perspective. I think this was just week one. Sean McVay wants to put on a show with his new quarterback. I, I, I still think that Henderson's going to be quite involved in this offense. It's just they wanted to air it out and Chicago wanted to let them. Um, David Montgomery looks good for Chicago. That's great. Allen Robinson, like I... Again, you feel for the guy. He doesn't have a great quarterback. The sooner they can get Justin Fields. And again, I don't even think Fields is that good, but he's better than that. And one thing we've established over the last little while is that teams aren't great at just developing quarterbacks. The best way these teams develop quarterbacks is just throw them out there and see if they can turn into something. That's, that is their development plan. So this whole redshirting bullshit, that it's very rarely worked. There's a reason up until Patrick Mahomes that the last example of it we had was Aaron fucking Rodgers back from like 2007. Like there's, there's a reason why, oh, well, I mean, you just, you you have Aaron, just like the Aaron Rodgers situation, just have him sit and and learn under a a veteran quarterback. No team does that. No team. No, we have two examples of of that in the last 16 years that have actually worked out well. No one does it. So let's stop bringing it up. Justin Fields should be starting for this. If Matt Nagy wants to keep his job, Justin Fields needs to be starting for this team. I kind of get not throwing him out there against this Rams defense. And if you want to give Andy Dalton the send-off against Cincinnati, his former team, fine. But this team is in deep, deep trouble at the quarterback position. And, I mean, look, that's nothing new. But that that was about as bad as it gets, quarterbacking-wise. Andy Dalton is just not it. Philadelphia against Atlanta. This was the... Okay, game of the day for me, because it it was kind of the opposite of how I thought it would go. And it's two teams I didn't really have a great read on at the beginning of the season, but Jalen Hurts looked pretty good from, again, these are the flashes that I'm getting from Red Zone. This is the game I'm most interested in going back and rewatching, because I was not expecting Hurts to look as good as he looked in this game, and I want to see if that was more consistent or if I'm just getting the highlight version of it. Devontae Smith looked like a dude, and if that's going to be the case, this offense all of a sudden starts to open up a little bit. Atlanta is a team I'm very concerned about now because we talked about it in the preview show with 
Julio Jones, Matt Ryan was fourth in the league in yards per completion, I believe. And it got down to 28th without Julio Jones. This offense looked bad without Julio Jones. And that's great that you replace him with Kyle Pitts. And yes, Calvin Ridley can take a step forward. But if Matt Ryan's going to look that bad, then this is going to be a problem. So that, that's a game that I'm looking forward to, to breaking down. And Atlanta is definitely on my oh shit radar. Um... Yeah, that, that, that one seemed like a bit of an issue. Seattle against Indianapolis. The big takeaway fantasy-wise is uh, DK Metcalf. Where were you, bud? But those th that's going to happen sometimes with this offense, and that's probably why like DK Metcalf has first-round talent, but because of the weapons that Russell Wilson has, excuse me, to be able to spread the, the, the ball around too, He's just going to. Um, Tyler Lockett is the one who has the big day. He's going to have those. I think Metcalf probably has more big days than Lockett, but Lockett is always going to be a factor in this offense. I I like Carson more than most, and uh, I think he can be good. Like this is just this is a quality win for Seattle and for Indianapolis. I, I'm still in wait and see mode on this team. It, they they looked good. They didn't look great, and that's kind of where I think they are now. If Tennessee is going to look that dog shit, then maybe that's enough to win this division. I I don't think it will be, but I, I think Indianapolis is going to be one of those teams who loses to the good teams and beats the bad teams. Like that's just you know, I I don't know how many weeks we're going to be surprised by Indianapolis this season, but that that's just kind of my my initial read on it, and I don't know. Week one was never going to really change my mind on that. This next one is the one that I am incredibly frustrated about. This was the, the gambling bad beat of the day as Minnesota ends up falling to the Cincinnati Bengals. I need to state on this podcast in audio form, I'm never betting on Kirk Cousins again. The, I, I Vikings fans and before that Washington football team fans, I don't know how you do it. That was infuriating to watch. And the frustrating thing is, is that eventually it would move the ball. And, oh, well, Kirk Cousins, look at this throw. It's like, fuck you, Kirk Cousins, good throw. He holds on, he has zero awareness of almost anything out there. He has no idea if the pocket's collapse, collapsing around him. Like, that internal clock that quarterbacks are supposed to have, his was broken a while ago. He has no sense of the pocket collapsing around him. His clock management is nil. He's just a bad quarterback. And it's so frustrating because you have Dalvin Cook, who is an incredible weapon that they are able to utilize. And you have Jefferson and Thielen, who can bail out Cousins on some bad mistakes. This game shouldn't have been as close as it was to begin with. And then they shouldn't have had the issues that they had in overtime. And then they sure as shit shouldn't have lost in overtime. This one, I put, I mean, defensively, you have some concerns about Minnesota. You, you probably shouldn't have given up that many points to the Cincinnati Bengals. But I'm putting this loss mainly on Kirk Cousins. And he was one who I thought first couple of weeks in fantasy, pick him up. You can target him. He has a couple of good matchups. I don't want a damn thing to do with this guy anymore. He is, God, he's so bad. And he shouldn't be. Like, there there are physical skills that he has. Like, he is a, a he is an athletic human being. And he has a, a decent arm on him. But it, it's just, the elevator doesn't seem to go all the way to the top with this dude. And I think that really holds Minnesota back. And when you look at the rest of this division, like, Chicago ain't shit. Um, Detroit's never been shit. And Green Bay's not going to be shit soon. Th this should be a team that can take advantage of it. But holy smokes, do they got to get a, a different quarterback in there. There were other concerns there, too. This is a team that, like, the, the coach is supposed to be a defensive guy. And they got shredded by Cincinnati? Come on now. Like, that's, that is, 
probably the the bigger concern realistically when when you're looking at this Minnesota Vikings team is that like they 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 should be able to out defend some of the issues they have with a dumbass quarterback and they're just not able to and that's that was the biggest concern for me. Denver against the New York Giants, this Giants team is not it, man. Like they are oh, they're bad. And tweeted about it a little bit as it was one of the like they had a bit more of the spotlight because um, it, it's in the four o'clock window. There's only four games. A couple of them were close, but one of them really isn't. And so this one's getting a little bit more attention than some of the one o'clock games were able to get. And you're just watching it. And it's like, oh, there's like, there's nothing here. And someone, a, a Giants fan tweeted at me, what happens first? Gettleman, uh, Jason Garrett gets fired. Gettleman gets fired or, uh, Daniel Jones gets cut. Daniel Jones isn't getting cut for a couple of years. That's dead cap. Um, the, the Giants aren't going to do that. I don't know if he's starting next year, but Daniel Jones gets the run for the rest of the season. I think Jason Garrett is gone pretty soon. Like, I don't know when the Giants buy is off the top of my head, but then that that is the time that Jason Garrett goes. Like you you look at the game plan, the team is down and you kind of need to get the ball moving a little bit. And they're running with Saquon Barkley, who looked like he had a bad day, but that's not what I'm going to panic on. I think the Denver defense is good and I think he's coming back from an injury. So I think Saquon Barkley is probably going to be fine. And you look at Daniel Jones and he's not it. You know, and I, I, he is one I genuinely feel bad for. I, I tend to not feel bad for athletes. Not, 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 oh, well, they make so much money. Cause it's like, yeah, there's still a lot of things that go along with that. But overall, like it, it's tough to feel bad for some of these guys. I feel bad for Daniel Jones. Cause God, he is trying. And A, he, he's trying really hard and he still screws up. And the, that sucks. Like, like that, that is not fun to deal with. And also, I don't know if he's very good. It's not his fault. The Giants drafted him too high. I just, I don't think he's very good and he's being not very good in the biggest media market in the world. Like that, that sucks. That, that can't be an enjoyable experience. And then you have a GM who's dumb as shit and that's, that's harsh, but you have a GM who's not very good and he's not surrounding him with the things that he needs to be surrounded with. Like they, fantastic. You got Kenny Galladay. That's great. The offensive line can't block worth a damn. So this Giants team is not going to be very good. And that defense, like... Denver has to be feeling very good about themselves today, but I I would pump the brakes a little bit, and I I'm someone who I've took the over on Denver, and I think that they're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. I I I don't change that opinion based on this game. That Giants defense is bad, man. Like this Giants defense is really really bad. So I I think Jason Garrett goes in the middle of the season. I think Gettleman's gone by the end of the season, and I think once again you're probably starting from scratch with the Giants. Um, like, I, I don't know if Saquon Barkley is franchise running back guy because of the injuries that he's had. I certainly know Daniel Jones isn't franchise quarterback, dude. Like, I the next time the Giants are good, I don't know how many guys on this roster are still going to be on this roster. Like, it's, it's tough. San Francisco against Detroit. Weird game. Um, I, I tend to believe more the first three quarters of this game than the last, hey, Detroit's making a comeback. Because I think Detroit, I, I think San Francisco just full on takes the foot off the gas pedal. Uh, credit to Detroit for not giving up. And that's going to be, if you are interested in DeAndre Swift, and if you're interested in Jared Goff for this Detroit team, the one thing you know about those damn kneecap biters is that garbage time, they are going to thrive because they are going to be dogs to play against from the first whistle right until the last one. And credit them for doing that. It is not easy to do while you're getting stomped on. But make no mistake about it, they were getting stomped on. From a fantasy perspective, there's a couple of big ones in this one. Excuse me, Raheem Mostert is out with an injury. Um, 
Trey Sermon is a late game scratch. That is concerning because I kind of liked him coming out of the draft and going to that San Francisco team. And I, I thought he would have quite the elevated role with San Francisco. And then to not make it in the lineup in game one, I don't know if this is Kyle Shanahan just being too smart for his own good. Maybe it's not. Even, I mean, they won the football game, so it maybe it isn't being too smart for his own good. It's just him just playing around with things a little bit. I, I wouldn't totally give up on him just yet. If you have to drop him like that, that is fine. If, if you have other additions to make on your team, from a fantasy perspective, I'm not saying, well, you have to hold on to Trey Sermon. What I am saying is if you, th if you think you got a very good team, that's not a bad stash to have. And also, Brandon Ayuk, just nowhere to be found in this game. It was all Debo Samuel. I think that's more injury-related and just Ayuk kind of getting into gear. I, I truly believe San Francisco kind of treated this game like a preseason game. Like I, I think this was their, Hey, let's work on a few things. Let's throw Trey Lance in there. Let's not, let's, let's bounce around. Ah, Trey Sermon, you can sit a little bit. Like, let's, let's just see what we have in a couple of these things. Cause they knew they were going to win this game. So I, I think that was them kind of, again, I, I've used this term before playing with their food a little bit. Houston against Jacksonville. Sure. It happened. Tyrod Taylor is good. And that that, that, that is the extent of it. He is, an average to good quarterback in the NFL. So good for him for that. And the best part of that is that he is going to keep Brandon Cook's fantasy relevant. And that was a play that I liked this season quite a bit. And I, I think that's going to be pretty consistent. I, I think Cooks is going to have a good year with the, the Houston Texans. The, the running back situation, Lindsey with a tough drop there in the red zone. That ends up leading to a Mark Ingram touchdown. But Lindsey does get another score a little bit later on. I think Lindsey is still the running back you want in Houston because they are going to probably be in more passing down situations as the season goes along. He is certainly going to be the more passing uh, the, the more pass catcher of the running backs there. So I, I think Phil Lindsay is due for a pretty good year. Jacksonville is the one that I, I really want to focus on because Urban Meyer, one thing we can say about Urban Meyer, and there, there's a lot that you can say, but one of the, I guess, positives about Urban Meyer is that Homie hasn't lost a whole lot. And they, they talked about how this is the first time in any regular season ever that Trevor Lawrence has lost um, in a, a regular season. But 51 throws is just far too many for a rookie quarterback. Like, I get Urban Meyer doesn't do the losing thing all that much or all that often or all that well. But, like, that that just, that feels like too much on a rookie quarterback in his very first game. I don't care if that rookie quarterback is the best prospect we've seen since Andrew Luck. You need to help him out a little bit more. And I just, I didn't think that was the proper game plan for Jacksonville. Even if you're down, like, just... Help the kid out a little bit more than that. And last one, Jets against Carolina. The the Sam Darnold call and Carolina call, uh, I'm not feeling awesome about that one, but a win is a win, so moving on, I guess. Uh, again, there's not a whole lot of takeaways from this one. Christian McCaffrey is stupid good. Uh, Sam Darnold has a couple of good moments in this game, and the Jets are going to be a bad team all season. That's probably where that comes down to. In the Canadian Football League, it was rematch weekend. Uh, the, the big game, Saskatchewan taking on Winnipeg. That was a big game of the last couple of uh, weekends. And they both go Winnipeg's way. And I, I think they clearly established themselves as the top team in the CFL. And once again, the Riders have some issues. This time, Saskatchewan's actually able to move the ball. And I can already hear the calls to the province to the east of me that, oh, well, 
they they only struggled because Cody Fajardo got hurt. Eh, well, they struggled when Cody Fajardo was in there too. And again, they moved the ball between the 20s quite effectively. It's just when they got to the red zone that the, the drives ended up stalling. And, and once again, you just see some poor decision-making from Cody Fajardo. And there was a couple of times Saskatchewan settles for field goals that I didn't love that they settled for field goals. And that allows Winnipeg to hang around, and then it's just a couple big plays, and boom, the game is out of hand. It, it felt like that way at Labor Day, and the, the same thing happens in the Banjo Bowl rematch. And for Winnipeg, like that defense is good enough that that's really all that they need offensively. I, I think that this is actually a very well-built football team on the Winnipeg side of things. The defense is elite, and they showed a little bit more in the coverage game this week, I thought. Um but you have Jeff Coat, you have Jefferson, and you have Adam Big Hill. You know that defense is going to be really, really good. So you only need to have a couple of big plays a game. And they control the ball with the running game. You get them in a couple of vulnerable situations on second down. But now Lawler looks like he is a reliable target on second down. Wolotarski has, uh, sorry, excuse me, Wolotarski has always been a reliable target on second down. And Ams is your big play guy. Like they just, they check off all the boxes. As long as Zach Caleros doesn't cost them any games, then th this is going to be a team that is going to be contending once again for a championship. Need to get that kicker thing figured out because they're not going to be blowing everyone away every week. And those are misses that are just absolutely inexcusable. But aside from that, like this is a, a very well-built team. And for Saskatchewan, I think this offense is going to move the ball against the rest of the league. Like that's, this is a specific to Winnipeg problem, I think, for Saskatchewan. But the West is probably going to run through Winnipeg now. Like you're probably going to have to go to Winnipeg to win a playoff game if you want to get to the Grey Cup. And they're going to need to, to get that figured out. I thought that blitz protection-wise, Saskatchewan was atrocious. And they need to, to get that figured out. I thought the backs a couple of times left Fajardo and Harker very much exposed. And so that was a big problem. Powell in the run game was excellent. I thought Moore was great as well. It sounds like they're going to get some of the injured players back, so that's going to help them. But we, we talked about tiers going into Labor Day weekend. It almost looks like Winnipeg is in a tier all to their own right now because those were two fantastically played football games. And again, now everyone's kind of in the middle again, right? Like Edmonton and Calgary split theirs. Hamilton and Toronto, did either team stand out to you? And now Dane Evans is hurt for forever. So we once again thought we'd get all these questions answered coming out of these two weeks, the Labor Day games and then the rematches, and we still come away with the same thing. Winnipeg and Saskatchewan are good. We have questions about how good Saskatchewan is now, but we know Winnipeg is good and we know Ottawa sucks. And aside from that, everyone's just kind of there. One team can get hot for three weeks and all of a sudden find themselves in a Grey Cup, especially in the East. I don't have a damn clue what's going to happen in the East, but it's just... Normally, Labor Day is a time for questions being answered and understanding this is not your regular Labor Day timing in the schedule. I don't know how much we answered over the last couple of weeks, and that's going to make for an even more intriguing CFL season. Music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram, at Wasted Talent, with X's where the A's would be. The Toronto Blue Jays are the first wildcard team in the American League. I was more optimistic than a lot of people on this Blue Jays team um, over the last few weeks. Even I didn't know if that would happen, especially not this quick. This has been an incredible run. And look, I'm not, I'm stating the obvious here. They scored 44 runs in two days. That's really good. Um, th th this offense is on a crazy roll 
right now. And the the good thing is, is again, some of the games that they were losing earlier in the season where bullpen has some issues, Hyunjin Ryu has some struggles, and you, you can just see how quickly things can turn because they, coming off of the Yankee sweep, you kind of figured Friday might be a bit of a letdown game, and they uh, lose. And then Ryu doesn't have a very good start, and they are required in the seventh inning to come up with a couple of big hits to win that game. If that doesn't happen, then all of a sudden, you've just given back two... It's basically like you split the Yankee series, right? Like, that is that. That is kind of how you are looking at it with the expected wins and all of that. And to, to come up with the, those wins, like, those were big hits this team was not getting even three weeks ago, but now especially... Um, but earlier in the season, sorry, especially, they, they were not getting those. And then they do, and that's awesome. And the bullpen has some struggles, and it doesn't matter because they just outslug everything. This is, I don't know how sustainable it is, but the Jays, again, getting some bullpen help. Merriweather uh, it probably shouldn't be a high leverage guy right now as he works his way back. Barucki is coming back. That's going to help against lefties as Meza. Again, you can't really have a loogie anymore. Left-handed one-out guy. Because of the, the rules where you have to pitch the three dudes, but... I think Baraki is going to help against some of the lefties here, and Meza can just be a... Not that they have been using him specifically against lefties, but now you have just another quality weapon out of the bullpen. The Blue Jays are getting healthy at the right time, and I, I said before, I think this team's going to be a problem. I think they are better than Boston. I don't know if they are four games to none better than the Yankees, but I, I like them better than the Yankees. And the Yankees' main issue, again, it's the same one as the Blue Jays, don't get me wrong, but it's that bullpen. And it rears its ugly head, again, against the uh, the, the New York Metropolitans, who desperately needed that win. But I think we are destined for a Blue Jays against Yankees wildcard game. I think that'll be a lot of fun. I was never expecting that to potentially be in Toronto, but that's kind of where we are sitting right now. Hmm. Breaking news into the podcast. Just as to, to give you a timing on how we're, or when we're recording these things, uh, USC has fired head football coach Clay Helton after a 42-28 loss to Pac-12 rivals Stanford on Saturday. Helton was in his seventh season. Really? Wow, time flies. With an overall record of 46 and 24, which a lot of sports fans think, oh, 46 and 24, that's pretty good. At USC, that's not very good. Uh, go look at Urban Meyer's coaching record. That, that's not how you want it. That's an interesting move. I wonder where uh, SC goes after this one. So that's interesting. Anyway, back to baseball. Um, yeah, the, the Yankees, like, they just, they don't have anyone that you trust coming out of the bullpen right now. Like, anyone. Not just ninth inning. Like, at, at any point. Chad Green was supposed to be that guy, and then he serves up, I believe he served up the home run last night. So... This Yankee team is in a bit of trouble, but I do think that they are going to be facing the Blue Jays probably maybe at the Rogers Center now, which would be unbelievable to think of from a, a Blue Jay standpoint that they'd be hosting a playoff game. These next three games against the Rays are going to be interesting. Um, I, I'm not going to say, well, if the Jays sweep, then they are the favorites in the American League now. But like this is going to be a, okay, how good are you actually series? This is a, a nice prove-it series for Toronto. I know a lot of you are familiar with me because of my, uh, this feels so weird to say as if it was like a, a super long impactful time or that long ago, but because of my days in Calgary radio, and I, I still live here now and still like to interact with a lot of uh, Flames fans on social media was, holy shit, was that a weekend? But that seems like a thing that I don't want to get into. Um, the on ice move is Erica Branson signs a contract with the Flames. And every contract that the Flames have signed this offseason, oh, well, that's a Daryl guy. Okay. 
I think we're maxed on Daryl guys now, right? Like that you're probably good. You're probably at that the, the Daryl guy limit now. This was not a team that needed more Daryl guys. Like I and, and I get you 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 want to bring in guys who kind of fit with the coach and all of that, but this this was a hockey team that has been severely lacking in the skill department since like 1989, basically. Um like this this team has always and Again, maybe you played your strengths a little bit, but they have forever been like the, if they have success, it's the grinded out style of teams. If they just added a little bit of skill, a little bit more skill to this team, I think this team is very, 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 ah, oh, that, that's too many varies. But I think this could be a good team. You have some weapons on this squad, but they are going to be the most boring ass team to watch all season long this year. And I don't think they're going to be very good. That, that like... You missed out on the playoffs last year after Montreal tries to hand you a playoff spot and your answer is Eric Goodbranson and I'm cherry picking, of course, but what else has been the answer? I just, I can't fathom watching the last decade of Flames hockey or that, that's, it's, that, that's a stretch, but the last five years, like this era of Calgary Flames hockey and doubling down on the sandpaper dudes, like... They, you've got that. This team needs more skill. This is a team that gets out-skilled. And I get the Pacific Division isn't super scary this year, but Edmonton has more skill. And I get, oh, where's the God? Further fuck ahead than the Flames are. I think the Canucks have more skill than the Flames. I don't know how good it's going to do them, but I, I, yeah, skill player for skill player. Hmm. Like, this is... You can't have this team and then still have Johnny Gaudreau on the team. Like, it's just, it is mind-boggling to me. This Flames offseason, an offseason where you desperately needed to change. Like, it's, it has been clear to me for a couple of years now that this shit in Calgary ain't working. And congratulations, you beat Winnipeg without Mark Shifley once. Like, that's good for you. But aside from a very good first half of the regular season a couple of years ago, this team hasn't done shit. And they are run like a team that, oh, well, we just need to add a couple of uh, couple of secondary pieces, and that's what this team needs. No! This team needs stars. This team has maybe one. Like, Johnny Gaudreau ain't my cup of tea especially when it comes to, to playoff time. He's extremely skilled and, and is a lot of fun to watch. I will call him a star. I think Matthew Kachuk can get there. And I think Elias Lindholm does a lot of things very, very well. But they need more than that. Like, this this team needs just more. They've got the Daryl thing down now. you got guys who can grit and grind and all of that stuff. And if you're the least watchable team in the league and you're winning 2-1 every night, then fantastic, good for you to make, go on, make the playoffs to your heart can, heart's content. I think this is going to be a team that grinds out 2-1 losses all season long. Like, I just, they're going to be slow. They're not going to be talented enough. And I, I think they're, yeah, I think this is going to be a bad year for the Flames. And I think it's probably going to cost Brad for living his job. It's not going to cost Daryl his job. And I, I I do feel bad a little bit for for Brad for living because I do think that this is a guy who has wanted to make a big splash for a bit and has just kind of come up second in a few deals. I like I, I don't think, gun to his head, you, you talk to Brad True Living, hey, is this the roster you want? I don't think he says yes. I just think the rest of the league is kind of aware that he needs to make a change and like no one's throwing him a life raft. And n nor should they. But I think this Flames team is in a lot of trouble. 
Closing this one out with some soccer. As Manchester United, they make the big splash of the transfer window as they bring in Cristiano Ronaldo, and you knew it was going to pay off. And it pays off with a couple of goals. The thing is, with this move, and it was, look, I, I am a Manchester United fan, and Cristiano Ronaldo was the reason why. Um, I, I'm, I would love to tell you, oh no, born and raised soccer fan. I got into soccer 10 years ago when I was working at Sports Center and... Uh, just like I, I started as an intern and working my way up. And one of the highlight packs that you get when you're working your way up is the soccer. So I was like, well, let's embrace this. And I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought. But I also knew like we, we've, I, I don't hide my favorite teams uh, on this show. Anyway, I kind of did on the, the radio, but that went away after a while. Um, but between the Canucks, the Blue Jays, the Raptors, the Riders, and the Raiders, I've had my fair share of suck. Okay. I, I, I didn't need to go, oh, well, let's go with the young plucky upstart because I, I didn't know enough about soccer and nor, quite frankly, nor did I care about soccer enough to sit through a rebuilding season. Oh, well, finished 10th this year. That's fantastic. No, 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 no. I, I wanted to cheer for the juggernaut in one league. And at that time, that was Manchester United. Now, my damn luck, I start cheering for them and all of a sudden the championships start to kind of go away. I've got a couple, but it, it has not been the Yankee-esque run of dominance that I was hoping for when I, I hopped on the, the Manchester United bandwagon. However, the reason I did was Cristiano Ronaldo. And so for me, that was really fucking cool to, to see what he was able to do in his first game back at Old Trafford and just to, to have the, the crowd around him and the, the announcer was perfect because they all are in soccer. The thing is, from my perspective, bringing in Cristiano Ronaldo... Turns Man United from the third best team in the Premier League to the third best team in the Premier League. Like, I still don't think they're on Chelsea's level. I still don't think they're on Man City's level. I still don't... I don't think they defend well enough to be able to hang with some of the, the top teams. Which, again, we're talking about two. But this isn't a, oh, well, get into the playoffs and see what happens. That ain't how soccer rolls. I, I think that this is a team that, like, round of 16 in... Champions League potential, and uh, they're going to get back to the Champions League next year, so that's it, but the, the one thing that he adds to this team, and they have some of it already, but th there is a level of creativity that he can bring to uh, a team that I think really needs it, and they have creative players on the team, but they don't really have a coach that embraces that, and I think you're going to see Ronaldo kind of be able to do whatever the fuck he wants out there. And I think that's going to re lead to a few more creative looks offensively for this team. But the the main issue, I, I still don't think, like they're just, talent-wise, again, they're not as good as Chelsea and Manchester City. And I, I don't think they defend well enough to be able to hang with either of those. But sometimes you just need to make a move because it's really fucking cool. And that's what Man United did. And from a fan standpoint, I got no problem with it. And it certainly paid off in the first week of this new life with Cristiano Ronaldo. That's going to do it for the program. God damn, that was a lot of me talking today. Uh, thank you very much for sitting in with us today. Might be making a few changes. I know you've been hearing that a lot from me, uh, especially around football, but I, I am starting to see some of the limitations of the current schedule that I have when it comes to fantasy football talk. Um, but for now, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, is the schedule. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. It means so much to me that you guys are, are sticking with me and, and listening to this program. If you have any feedback at all, let me know on Twitter and Instagram. I am at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. The music that you're listening to is Waste of Talent. Find them on Instagram at Waste of Talent with X is where the A's would be and find their producer on Instagram. He is at Tommy Fresh Music. There's no A's in that. 
If you haven't heard enough from me, we had no idea. Our general history podcast usually comes out every Wednesday morning. In the last couple of weeks, it's been Wednesday or Thursday morning. But I have a blast doing that show with my wife. Uh, we put a lot of work into that one. I'm really proud of the work that we've been able to do on that show. So I would love it if you could give that show uh, a listen. It is on Instagram at We Had No Idea Podcast. All right, I'm out. Talk to you guys later this week. <laughs>